Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. The only Italian football podcast bringing you inside the Serie A stadiums every single week. This week there have been nine games played. We've been at six of them. So our ratio is up for now. It will drop back down to just the pretty pathetic 60% of games attended when whatever terrible game is on tomorrow night gets played. But who cares? 60% isn't too bad. Um, I am Connor Clancy, returning as host as ever, fresh and rejuvenated after the international break. And joining me is Vito Doria. Vito, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Connor. It's been good. It's good to be back on the FIF pod, you know, after the international break. And yeah, glad to be talking about the Serie A action again. So I'm sure it'd be worth discussing this week. Absolutely, it will be. And also joining me is Kev. Kev, I'm not going to say your last name because last time I said it, I thought I said it right and it turns out it was wrong anyway. So you are just Kev, if that's all right with you. Yeah, that's absolutely fine with me, Connor. Nice to be back. Good. It's good to be speaking to you again and have a full house on the podcast. All right. um, the, The obvious place to start is where the Serie A action finished this evening. And I'll start off with a simple question. Vito, Sampdoria Genoa, Derby della Lanterna, is there a better derby in Italian football? Look, realistically, um, there probably are better derbies, probably in terms of the quality of the teams. But I think in terms of the atmosphere and the colour, I don't think it's very easy to match. I think it's a great atmosphere that's provided by both teams, especially of all the choreography, the TIFOs, things like that. So I, I do believe that it deserves more recognition that, that it gets. So I'm hoping at least some can be better in the future, whether Genoa improves, you know, that's their business. I couldn't care less. But I do think both Genoese sides have to be better 
for more people to truly see how awesome this dub is and the colour that's there because just from a photographic point of view, it's spectacular. It's definitely one of the most picturesque derbies, um, maybe even in the world, because there's something special about the Marassi as a stadium. Those roof things, I can't think of the word I'm looking for now. The structure of the roof is amazing. The shape of it, it's, it's just beautiful. The colours are amazing. And then the club colours thrown in on top of that, it's great. Kev, you, like me, have been to one of these games, and it's... From a neutral perspective, probably the most I've ever enjoyed a football match. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was right up there. I went in February 2014, and I've also experienced the Rome and the Milan derbies, and and it's certainly I, I nearly said bigger. It's certainly better than those two, um, and you never really understand why it has that feeling. It just has this sort of special appeal. Maybe it's the choreography. The one thing I would say about tonight's game, which is quite common, I think, with most derbies, is the first one of the season when there's not a lot riding on it. You you almost get a more even contest, and I think we saw that tonight. You know, there was nothing really for either side to lose. They were both on pretty poor runs of a, a form and just, just, just went at it, although you could argue Genoa slightly more than Sam. Yeah, it was, it was quite strange to see Genoa be the more dominant of the teams, especially given the recent history, Vito. I'm sure you're well versed in just how poor the Rossa Blue have been in this fixture over the last few years. What is it they've? I'm sure you'll fill me in. How many of the last 10 have they won? It's something pathetic. Mm. I'm not sure about the exact number myself, but uh, Genoa did beat Samp 3 0 in the 2015 2016 season which was near the end of that campaign. And then probably before that, the one that probably springs to mind was another 3 0 win to Genoa in the 2013-2014 season early in that campaign. So that's another win for Genoa. But in recent years, it's been predominantly Sump that's been able to collect the points and play the better football. But this time it was a different story. Genoa looked far more confident in what they were doing. And... Uh, Usually the Griffoni are pretty physical in these kind of games, but in this game, I didn't think they really needed to be. They seemed to be more focused on trying to play the game, create chances, and uh, Kuyama and Piontek looked particularly dangerous up front. So um, I'm sure the Genoa fans will feel very unrewarded that they didn't get the three points. Yeah, Kev, it is quite strange because Sam have been not only the better team in recent years in this fixture but have been by far the better team out of the two this season I'm sure there won't be too many Genoa fans disagreeing with that were you surprised to see Genoa be the dominant of the two yeah I was I think it was it was you always expected the effort you always expect the physicality um, and there's sometimes a tendency in a derby whoever the two sides are for for people to just sort of run around the most headless chicken like um, but whether it had been the, the international break that Jurich had managed to get the players together. And there was a, it was like Vito said, it was something organised about how they were pressing the, uh, the, the Samp players after they'd taken the league, admittedly, um, that seemed to really work for them tonight. I'm just looking at the statistics now and Vito, Genoa have won just one of the last 10 derbies, which shows just how much of a stranglehold 
Samp have had over the city and its football in recent seasons. But you both mentioned Genoa's threats in attack and Christoph Piontek, after what is it, five games without scoring, he's back amongst the goals. It was a penalty. He did win the penalty and took it well. Kev, you possibly in jest put it up on Twitter that he's a flat track bully. There was a, there was a tweet that uh, that we uh, sent out, um, and it just listed the, the the teams that he'd scored against since he joined uh, joined Genoa in the summer. And it wasn't until I looked at that really when you saw he drew a blank against the likes of Juventus, Napoli, and you just thought uh, it, it was it was it was tongue in cheek. Um, tonight, actually, I thought uh, Kwame was 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 really Genoa's standout. We will we will get on to Kwame. Of course, but in defense of Piontek, right? He, he scored two against Asuolo, who have been terrible lately, but were very good at the start of the season. There was a lot of hype about them over the summer. He scored against Lazio. He scored against Parma, who have been okay. And he scored against Sampdoria, who, who aren't a terrible team. I, I'm, I was quite annoyed for other reasons that the Inter game was even put on that list because he came on at 3-0 and barely got a sniff. And then Juventus, he's not going to score against Juve, is he? Milan, okay, maybe. And Napoli, it, it's always going to be tough, especially given the conditions that that game was played in. It wasn't a football match. I, I think you're being harsh on young Christoph. No, like like I say, it was, it was tongue in cheek, and uh, you know, it clearly looks like he's got a, a, a bright future in front of him. And uh, as a fellow, uh, or so I say, someone with Polish heritage, I'm uh, more than happy for him to continue on his scoring thing. I was just trying to see if you would go against your your countrymen of sorts, but you've stood firm. Um, Vito, I will bring you in for Kwame then. Uh, I have spoken to Dov about Kwame on previous pods this season, and I've spoken about it myself when I was going to Liguria what seemed like every three days for the first four or five weeks of the season. And What did you make of his performance tonight? I thought he was one of the best players. I compiled the ratings for Forza Italian football in this game, and I did give Romolo the best rating. I thought he was excellent on the right flank with his energy, hard work, and wing play. But Kuyami in particular, it, I think he was more dangerous than Piontek because of his link-up play, his work ethic, his speed, physicality. And, yeah, he just puts the pressure on too, so... I think he's a more complete player than Piontek is, whereas Piontek's more or less a pure finisher. But, yeah, I think the two promising players and Kuyami's got his own attributes that makes him crucial to this uh, general side. So I think he's another young player that's going to be on the rise. And then, Vito, just before we move on from this game, Prozaga will be speaking to Dov about it because he was there for us battling against everything that conspired against him getting a report done with Wi-Fi and internet connection, mobile phone connection. We got there. But what do you make of this game from a Sampdoria perspective? It was good to see the three-game losing streak broken, but uh, this is uh, probably the first time that Juric has got a point off us, so that's not a good thing. And... I think in general, the performance wasn't very good. It seemed that once Quayarella scored, there was a bit of promise there, but 
Genoa got into their rhythm and we couldn't get into ours. I didn't expect us to play our best football against Genoa because they're usually such combative games and tough games to win. But I'm hoping that from next week onwards, we can start getting back to our rhythm, develop our confidence and, uh, you know, go back to playing the football that we're used to. If I had to pick out two weaknesses would be the left back and Trequatista roles. I think that's where we need the most improvement and the players in those positions like Nicola Muro at left back and then the attacking midfielders, Ricardo Saponara and Gaston Ramirez, I expect big improvement if we're going to get back to winning ways. Now, Gaston Ramirez is someone that I've always not quite understood. He's a player who can be excellent, but it's it's too rare. And I know... Very inconsistent. Yeah, absolutely. And very, very inconsistent. I know people say the same about Josip Ilicic. He had an interesting weekend, but mm. Ilicic does it a little bit more than Gaston Ramirez does. And Gaston Ramirez disappeared for about three years. He was in England and did absolutely nothing while he was there. Uh, but Badger is in the comments. He says that Derby della Lanterna was a fun match and he's glad he didn't skip it. Never skip the Derby della Lanterna. It, honestly, it, it is the most enjoyable game in the Italian football calendar. I think perhaps the only one that rivals it is when Torino are at home to Juventus. That derby, the only time that's fun is when Torino are at home. The other way around, it's a it's a walk in the park for Juve. And he also thought we had abandoned him this weekend. Never. We would never do such a thing. We're just running a little bit late because today was chaotic. Okay, Dove, thank you for joining me after what was an extremely stressful day by the sounds of it. Oh, hello, Connor. Yes, it was. It's always a pleasure, obviously, coming on the, the, the best Italian football podcast out there. Uh, the first Italian football podcast out there as well for all you people that listen to the like the million other ones. Why um, is it the best though? Because we go to the games, Connor Clancy, hashtag <laughs> FF at the games, uh, well, uh, which is annoying when you go to the games and you go up to the little press <laughs> person and ask, oh, hello, can I have the Wi-Fi password, please? And they go, oh, sorry, it's broken. Like, not the password, the Wi-Fi. And I like, oh, all right. And what you can arguably say is the biggest game of the weekend in Serie A, mm. which was quite annoying. And then obviously we're 25,000 people in a stadium singing songs and doing flares and fireworks and flashy lights. The hotspot on your phone doesn't work either. So it was, it was a difficult evening, Conor Clancy. But we both had um, we both had difficult derby experiences today, then, Dove, because I, I barely got into the Tardini. How, oh, why not? Uh, I went up to the gate and they said, "Oh, you're not on the list." And I said, "Clancy's always on the list." And then she said, "But you're here every week, aren't you?" And I said, "I am." We're at the game. At the game at the Tardini. Oh, yeah. I wonder so if she you- said. Huh? Do you think people are going to get sick of hashtag FAF at the games? I think people are already sick of it, which just makes me enjoy it a little bit more. <laughs> because it's true. Like if, if they're getting annoyed because we're at the games, the only way to silence us is by going to games themselves. And then, look, there's more good Italian football coverage, so I'm all yeah, for that. This is but, true. But no, I, I'm, I'm more wondering if the listeners are a bit annoyed at hashtag FAF at the games. Ah, uh, surely not. Well, they all, they all want to go to Parma Sassuolo. Yeah, I think so. It was a good game, though. But anyway, we're, we're not here to talk about that. We're not here to talk about that. 
But uh, thank you to the the Palmer lady who gives out the press accreditation because she then got on the phone and started screaming at someone, and then uh, my situation was resolved, and I walked in with no problems. There you so, go. Anyway, there you go. So we both had stressful derby days, but they were they were good. Anyway, Dove, um, let, let's talk about the football, shall we? Let's let's. That's what we're here for. That's why people listen. I think. I think so. They don't listen for so the sure. charisma. Or maybe they do yeah, listen for the charisma. The charisma and cat talk, usually. But there yeah, are no, no cats, cats No, no, no cats. It's, it's half past three. There are no there cats. Are no the cats. cats are sleeping. It is half past three. You've just made me aware of that. Okay, let's get on with this. Christoph Piontek. He scored a goal. And he had been, what was it, five games without scoring? But is he back, though? I, th- I think he's he back to the... Can a Piontek? I think so. Yeah, I'm just straight up. Yes, I think he is back. Um, obviously, we we had we put a tweet out about kind of his goal scoring record in Serie A, um, and obviously before the Juventus game, he scored in every single one. Um, but then against Juve, Udinese, Milan, Inter, Napoli, he failed to find the back of the net. And I think apart from say Udinese, maybe you can argue Milan. Like those are difficult games, so you probably not expect him to score in those ones given the kind of calibre of the teams he was facing but then obviously coming back into this the Derby Sampdoria um, everybody's charged up for it and uh, he got to do his wee celebration his wee gun celebration which is quite cool Um, yeah and and I I thought he was really good his movement was good he had a couple of other chances as well. One, kind of, you could say, denied by Aldero, but I think he could have maybe placed it a bit better. Um, and he looked dangerous, which is something he hadn't done previously in the, in the five ball, yeah, five games previous. It wasn't as dangerous. But tonight he looked, or say on Sunday night, he looked very, very dangerous. Um, and I, it could be, because they can, like you say, the Derby, Derby's bring out, Things in, in players they bring out kind of the, 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 kind of that little bit extra, the little bit of difference. Like you obviously see McQuarrella scoring as well, and then they got on Saturday then the last training session before the, uh, the the derby. The Genoa Ultras went up to the training ground and basically said to the players, that, "Listen, if you try your hardest, like give it everything, we'll be behind you a hundred percent the whole." Like I, said, I think they said ninety minutes and more, so they wouldn't even stop at ninety minutes, Clancy. They would go for the time added on as well so they said that to the players that we'll be behind you so go and do it and if you do it we'll be behind you and, and they did and they, they were the team that wanted it more as well I thought it's quite nice of them to stick around for the for stoppage time really oh, they, stuck, mean, they, stuck around for, they stuck around for longer than that if you watch my the, the, my post-match video on ForzaTimeFootball.com um, they were still bloody there like half an hour 45 minutes after the game finished singing their wee hearts out Genoa fans are quite good for that yeah, to be fair they were, they were telling the Sampdoria fans to go away in a not very nice way <laughs> alright we will get into that you mentioned um, Christoph Piontek's celebration his mm. his gun slinging friends that he usually joins him in those celebrations Christian Kwame how, how did he get on today because uh, we just recorded the podcast what seems like five minutes ago but in truth was about three hours ago now and <laughs> Vito was quite impressed with him. I think he's weird because I think we were talking off air, um, and like he's he's good. He's got he's got everything that you could maybe want a striker to have. He's quick. He's strong. He, he finds space well. 
Um, I just think at the, the final ball when he's shooting and, and maybe a bit of composure is still lacking. Obviously, he's young, which so it's understandable. But he's he, he's, he's he's annoying as a, as, a, as as to defend against. Like he's always buzzing around and he's getting in the way and he's not giving up on kind of like loose balls or lost balls or if you or if the players win the ball off him, he's always kind of buzzing around. Um, Okay, it, it reminds me of like a giraffe or something like that because he's got long gangly legs and gangly arms it's mm. like he doesn't know what he's doing with his body but he kind of does as well at the same time um, I think tonight there's a few times where oh, like, he, he was losing possession too easily in, like, in terms of misplaced passes or kind of wayward shots and stuff kind like, of think things along those lines which I think obviously he needs to work on and I think it will get better but he's got kind of for me, he's got the raw materials to be a very, very good player. And I know Genoa think highly of him. Um, probably probably think kind of as highly of him as they do Piontek as well. And I think it could be beneficial to him that Piontek's getting all the press and Kuami is the one, apart from us, because we've discovered him and decided he's amazing. Um, nobody else really talks about him too much. Um, so, yeah, no, he, he was... I would say if tonight he was fr- on Sunday it was frustrating for me because he got into a few good positions but I think there was one he had uh, a cross coming at the back post and he tried to kind of do some crazy volley and I was like oh, just hit it or something like that mm. and there were lots of people near me were getting annoyed at him for doing that so yeah, he's still a good wee player but a bit frustrating against Sampdoria I, I kind of know what you mean about the giraffe thing and it sounds like a bizarre thing to say but the way he moves it's almost as if he's not trained as an athlete do you know what I mean as if he's he's not been taught how to do some of the more normal things and it's it it is quite weird because when I've seen him this season as impressive as he's been there are those moments where he does just look that little bit raw Hmm. and do you think is that what it was today or was it the the derby nerves or just the fact that he's still that bit I just think it's just poor decision making or just being a bit sloppy to be honest like he, he, he still he, he, he was still causing problems but I think if he had a, kind of like say a bit more composure about him and kind of knew I don't think he knows what he wants to do after he gets the ball which is the problem like he's fine if he's got the ball it's great or when he gets it it's great but then it's, what do I do now with it and if, it's, if there's not something like completely obvious he's maybe a bit he struggles a, wee, a little bit in terms of what pass to play or should he break forward or what should he do should he shield the ball and wait on teammates coming I think he's got he's got a lot to learn but like I say the raw material's there mm. okay um, and what was it what was it like because this is personally my favourite Italian football match is the Derby della Lanterna how was it being there oh it was quite good it was quite good um it was the best actual game for a long time. I remember being at the one, I think maybe like, I think it was one last season and the season before, where the, where the two teams are just both terrible and you just get a really terrible game. Um, and and that, that, that's kind of where the, the fans come into play because the fans think that they make the derby rather than having two really good teams facing off against each other. Um, whereas I think this time you've not really got two good teams facing against each other you've got teams that have kind of got some good players but the way that they played the game on Sunday was entertaining they didn't like Genoa tried to win Sampdoria did try to win but the fact that Genoa were a little bit better kind of 
and went against them. But it was good seeing two teams actually going for for it rather than being maybe too scared to lose the derby. They actually wanted to win the derby, which I thought was quite refreshing. So it was it was good. Obviously, the atmosphere was amazing. Obviously, everybody would have seen the choreography, 125 years of Genoa, um, with all the club legends on on the curva, and then some Doria response. It was it was along the lines of um, it was it was like darkness before but then on the 12th of August 1946 it became light something, <laughs> which I thought was quite good I, I thought it was quite a good response because obviously Genoa were doing all their kind of um, anniversary stuff and Sampdoria just had a little banner with, which I thought was quite nice There's, mm. if you go on the FIF um, social places that's all up there so it's very nice and follow us on Instagram then you can get it straight away first thing um, but you know it's, it's, a, it's a good game to go at I would recommend if people are coming to Italy and they want to take in um, a, a game for in general then the, the Derby is the one to yeah, go to yeah absolutely seek is, that one it out. is amazing it's interesting to actually say that because I was talking to a Spanish journalist who's writing a book on derbies and he's picked one from each country to go and see so he's for example in Scotland he's going to do the old firm he did, he did the, the Prague derby in the Czech Republic and, he, and in Italy he chose to do the Genoa derby over Milan and Rome and Verona and Torino so there you uh, go but the thing about it it doesn't even feel that Italian it, it kind of feels almost South American in a way it's it's an interesting well I, I don't know about that because we've seen South American derbies uh, a bit heated these days <laughs> right yeah true it's, it's a friendly South it's American a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom, you say we've, we've seen South American derbies we haven't oh, well, yeah, but, well, the, the, yeah this is true yeah because oh. I thought I had a dilemma this evening because I thought what am I going to do but then yeah River and Boca never, never played so it was fine <laughs> I, I I had that dilemma as well, but then I realised it was last night and I got excited and then I realised I wasn't getting played last night. So then I was looking forward to it today and, and now it's going to be on like the 8th of December or something, apparently. There uh, you go. Wow. Which is natural. People can but, listen to other podcasts for that. Yeah, true, true, true. Um, I, one last thing. Fabio Quagliarella, hmm. he's going to be scoring goals when he's 70. To be fair, it wasn't a difficult one to score. Um, so he they, was there, though. He was there. Well, he's a striker. He should be there. Um, not, he, yeah. He was probably... <laughs> he, he was this kind of like... He was the best outfield player for Samp. Um, obviously, got the goal. Worked hard. Um, kind of obviously loved Sampdoria. So, he was kind of giving everything for the team. Um but there just wasn't that end product. And I don't think it was all his fault because he wasn't really helped by Defrel Caprari when he was on. Um, Ramirez was decent in the, in, the, in, the, in the first half. of He got the assist. And then when Saponara came on, again, it didn't really, it didn't really quite click for, for Sampdoria up front, which I think was a problem. I can't even remember Radu making a save in the general goal. So I think... They'll be Sampdoria will be disappointed in terms of how they played going forward because in the second half they were they, they were kind of more dominant than Genoa were so you kind of would have expected them because they have got a bit more quality up front to maybe do something but they didn't. Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Some of the fans behind me, like well not behind me but kind of to my right, were just <laughs> shouting at Gianpaolo and saying he's a a coach of feces. They weren't very happy with him. They don't like him. <laughs> Um, ah, interesting. 
So yeah, so uh, yeah, I think they they could have created more Sampdoria, um, but Quellarella gets a an A star for effort. Which end of the press box were you in? Because it's split into the right hand uh, side. I was. Oh, so you were Sampdoria beside journalists. the Samp fans. Samp, beside the Samp fans, yeah. And the Samp fans don't like Gianpaolo. Some of them were moaning about him. Um, the decisions and stuff like that, like why did Sapinaro not start, for example, which I think is a strange one. Um, yeah. Especially given the way that like he started against, for example, Napoli when like that I think it was the last time Sampdoria were actually good this season. Um, and, and he was fantastic with Qualarella and Defrel, but and kind of Ramirez when he came on to replace him in that game wasn't very good. Whereas this game was kind of almost the opposite, where Ramirez was much better than Saponara. Uh, so, mm. yeah, I think th- there's there's problems there because the, the thing is they started the, the season so well, Sampdoria. Um, I think they'd only conceded like three or four goals in the first like, eight or nine games, which is fantastic. And since then, they've just kind of fallen apart at the back. Um, let me see how many how many goals have they conceded. You need to bear with me, people, to go and look at well, my statistics. I know they conceded at least three in their three games prior to this one. Yeah, so well, yeah, three against Milan. Four, yeah, three against Milan, four against Torino, four against Roma, and then obviously one tonight. Right. And I think I think in the the, the previous nine games before they conceded like three goals, and that was it. Um, so it's, it's kind of a weird kind of change that's happened there. That they were so good at the back. And even tonight, they looked like Genoa looked like they could get behind them, and obviously they did with Piontek's goal, um, and a couple other chances they got behind them. So um, they're a bit miffed at why it's changed and why Gianpaolo's not fixing it. I think. All right. Um, okay, Dov. Thank you for talking to us. And who knows? Look, we might actually get to bed before five a.m. for once on a Sunday Maybe. night, which is nice. Maybe. Maybe. That, that's only it's... because there's Capitano Mario. Mm. What? Mario Mandzukic was the captain for Juventus. How you? How was I supposed to know what you were talking about then? Because the last time I was on, you were moaning about it. So, I love Mario Mandzukic. I just think you need to. It's the captain. Calm down. It's the captain. Captain Mario. It's the leader. Yeah. Kievo have a point. I'm in a great mood. Kievo have, <laughs> have a point. They've ruined the Scudetto for everybody. The impossible <laughs> dream is on. Did you, did you like, actually, wow, um, Pod, Podrick Whelan, a fellow FIFer, sent me a wee message, which I thought was nice. What did he say? He said, the biggest journey starts with the smallest step. So there you go. The comeback is on. Survival is here. That's such a paddy message to send that. Uh, it was good. I liked it, though. I liked it. So there you go. Like, so keyboard, fantastic again. Um... Yeah. Right, calm down. They are. It was the Napoli, what, the second best team in Italy, and Cable made them look like amateurs, Connor Clancy. Amateurs. Mm. Sampdoria beat Napoli 3 0, and Sampdoria haven't been very good since. So uh, not... right, okay, I think that's time up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dov, thank you very much. Uh, this game wasn't quite as fun. It was also played today. Lazio won, Milan won, Kev. What did you make of this? As the game as a whole wasn't all that interesting. Gennaro Gattuso's use or lack of use of his substitutes bench is probably the most intriguing thing to come from this. 
yeah, well, when we're talking about substitutes, I'd actually probably go, I'd, I'd go back to Lazio. And I believe it was about 65 minutes. They pulled off uh, Milinkovic, Savic and Luis Alberto. Now, as you alluded to, it wasn't a great game, but they were the the two creative threats that Lazio did have at that point. And, and okay, they brought on uh, Correa, who eventually scored the, uh, the equaliser. But um, it was just such a strange move from Inzaghi. And then, you know, moving back to Milan, even with their, their availability problems of, of several of their players, Gattuso not putting any subs on at all. It, it just looked like they were, do we call them political moves from the coaches? You know, are they trying to send a message to their superiors about what they have available to them at the moment? It definitely feels like that in Gattuso's case, doesn't it? Because I know, as you touched on, they, they do have a lot of players out. But you look at the bench, they had Samu Castillejo was on the bench, Andrea Bertolacci, okay, he's not amazing, but he, he is a footballer. Diego Laxalt was on the bench. And believe it or not, Jose Mauri, he is still there. So they weren't exactly packed with options, but they could have done something. And you do think, is he just trying to send a, an almost Mourinho and Conte-like message to those above him to say, I need more players? Vito, what did you think of Gattuso's decisions? Perhaps it is a depth issue, but I do believe that it's very bizarre not to bring on any subs at all. It's bad enough that they have injuries, but there could have been the risk of getting more players injured or wearing players out. So even if he didn't want to give them 25, 30 minutes, at least give some of the guys, you know, five or 10 minutes at least so they can do something to change the dynamics of the game. And perhaps someone like Castillejo would have uh, changed things a bit, you know, add a bit of speed, a bit of flair. So I think at least he could have been brought on and then a few other players too, maybe even... You know, Māori to add something in the midfield or Bertolacci, just try not to wear out those who are still fit and try to make sure that you get your long-term and short-term goals right because you don't want to add further injuries to the list and it would be very hard if Gattuso had to turn to an abundance of youth team players. That would be disastrous for the Rossoneri. Yeah, well, well, they did have their players missing and Kev, they... Of their defenders, of their central defenders, the only one they had fit was arguably the worst of the bunch in Christian Zapata. And Gattuso switched things up and went to play with three central defenders, converting Ricardo Rodriguez and Ignacio Abate into makeshift central defenders. What did you think of this decision? I saw him getting a lot of criticism for it on Twitter, as every decision tends to receive. But was it the best thing to do? I don't think he had much choice, to be if I'm honest. But there was the whole, you know, I watched a game. I was doing the the, the player ratings, and with Zabata, Zabata being that that one, if you like, available centre back, you're expecting him to sort of almost manage the three of them. Conditions weren't great, um, but he managed to slip up in the first, uh, I don't know, fifteen twenty minutes, and that sort of just went throughout that defensive trio if you like because they sort of started relatively shaky and then he seemed to allow himself to drift over to the right so then Abate was often in the central position and you just think 
from somebody experienced of playing that position who knows the people either side of him are, are unsure of where their their maybe their positional sense is, is has to be. It, it wasn't a great performance. No, I was. I, I thought he he did the best that he could do as well. What what do you really expect? Because if if he puts one person out of position and plays alongside Zapata, then they're going to be more exposed. I feel like, but with the two extra defenders thrown in there, I thought. He managed it quite well. Um, We got some strange abuse over the international break about not covering Lazio quite enough. And I know sometimes we we let them slip on the pod. But when we do speak about them, we speak about them in glowing terms. And it's unusual because it was in response to last week's podcast and a tweet specifically saying that we spoke about Lazio, that we got abused for not talking about Lazio. So... We're not going to talk about Lazio, but we did have Alistair McKenzie at the stadium in Rome, and he will be speaking to us for the audio version of the podcast. I'll be speaking to him in a little over an hour to get his thoughts on the game. And He's at every Lazio home game, be it in Europe or Serie A, but we don't cover them enough, which is weird. Alistair, Lazio tend to struggle in the big games, or at least they do this season. Can you put your finger on why that is? Uh, I wish I could put a finger on why that is. Um, I think a lot of fans have been trying to all season long, really. The um, the thing is, what Inzaghi talks about before is the small margins in these games. And often Lazio, I mean, in the, in the Napoli game in, in the first week of the season and then the Rome derby as well, um, often Lazio have been in really good positions and playing pretty comfortably, but just things go against them. The Roman Derby, they switched off and conceded three goals from dead ball situations. Uh, the Napoli game, they were 1-0 up and, and managed to crumble and lose that. But um, without doubt tonight, the, the Milan game was, was their best opportunity yet to, to get a result in one of these games. And for them to come that close to not taking anything from the game was pretty shocking, to be honest, considering the dominance they had. So... I do think there have been small margins um, that have gone against Lazio perhaps in these games, but I I just think they do need to be more clinical, more ruthless. Um, You know, take these chances when they come and uh, it's all one, you know, it's one thing being able to play a nice style of football and pass the ball around and and dictate possession as they so often do, but um, that has to translate into points and goals at the end of the day and they came very close to losing that tonight. Yeah, it's so strange because last season they were quite a good counter-attacking team and now they seem to dominate games but not make it count. But Joaquin Correa came off the bench again and he scored again. What does he have to do to get more minutes under Inzaghi? Correa is really doing everything he possibly can to be able to get more minutes. Um, it's been a real talking points uh, among Lazio fans this season why he hasn't um, but reason number one really is just the competition that he has in that position because Chiro Mobile is always going to start up front and now Felipe Caicedo is considered as a as an option to play alongside him rather than as, as a number two to him so there's actually Correa, Luis Alberto and Caicedo all vying for one place um, which goes some way to explaining his limited time. Obviously, he's new into the team, only joined this summer, so Inzaghi took a while to kind of bed him into the team. 
and getting used to playing in a more central position instead of out wide. Um, but, you know, the, the chances he's, ha- he's had, he has been devastating. And the Udinese game he started a few weeks ago, he got a great goal in that game as well. So I do think it gets to a point where he can't be ignored. I mean, Luis Alberto has a lot of credit in the bank, put it that way, for, for his performances last season. He was absolutely phenomenal for Lazio. So... Simone Inzaghi does have a lot of faith in him still, despite his form this season, that he can return to that level. He has been struggling with injury problems that we don't know an awful lot about, but that is a consideration to make with Alberto. And I think that Inzaghi has a lot of faith in his players and, and does believe that Alberto can return to that level. But certainly, if you're picking on form, I don't think he can go an awful lot longer leaving Korea out of the starting lineup. Thanks, Alistair. They're three, Frosinone nil, and <laughs> what do you say about this? I don't know what to say about games that Frosinone are involved in because they're just they're just not very good. Icardi was rested, but it didn't matter in the slightest. Kev, Keita Balde scored twice, but does it mean anything? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of... I, I will admit I had some kind of one eye on the uh, the, the first postponed Super Classico in South America, um, but did did watch the first half of this and like you say, just Frosinone. I don't know what they're they're doing half the time defensively. It, you know, you you could talk up Kate Balde's contribution all you like, but he sold a dummy for his first goal that took out three of their defenders. I mean that that was the level with which Inter were dealing with, and and, and clearly Spalletti knew that and uh, rested Icardi with an eye on the, the Champions League this week, and yeah, and it, there was something that's kind of just made me lose interest part way through the game when you just knew that that Frosinone were never really in the race. Yeah, Frosinone are a joke. They're they're the very same team that they were when they were last in Serie, A, which is quite condemning, and and they did look like they had changed a little bit they looked quite good in Serie B last year but it's just not to be for them they've got seven points and one win from their 13 games so far and that's that's terrible if it wasn't for Chievo being so much worse Frosinone are so lucky that Chievo are in Serie A this season otherwise they would be laughed out of it and probably just forced into Serie B by Christmas and then above them is Bologna who have only won twice it's nice to see Bologna in the relegation zone actually but we'll move on from that uh, yeah, Vito, Keita Balde, I've described Frosinone's defence as training cone-like this season and Keita Balde just made them look even less valuable than a training cone in this game. Uh, well, they made him look good, but no, at least we, he did take his chances because I remember after our Talanta game, we were criticising him, but, um, you know, at least he did take his chances and Frosinone did look, make Inter look more like they were more creative and more fluid as well. So, um, you know, not just with Keita Balde, but with Inter in general, I do hope that, you know, they've reacted in the right way after they did get smashed by Atalanta before the international break. But, yeah, I really hope this is a chance for them to really regain their composure and be able to show off their skills because they do have some talented players in Inter. They just got to be more effective and be more confident too. And also try to play with more of this kind of flair and uh, conviction against stronger opponents. 
Definitely. We did we did have very Capretta at this game as well, as as is a theme. If there's a game at San Siro, we have someone at it. And it was Vieri this week. I will maybe speak to him about that. We'll, we'll see what happens. But Vito, or Kev, rather, Inter obviously had something of an eye on Europe with the team that they played. But it didn't matter. And that's got to be good news for them. Yeah, you think so. Um, I think there was almost the perfect storm for a lot of the uh, the teams involved in Champions League this week, whereas they weren't playing particularly strong opposition or they're in a position now where they can afford to maybe drop points or maybe that's going, that's, maybe that's a bit too strong, but let's face it, the league looks like it's over for most of them other than Juventus. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was sort of right, right place, right time for, for, for Inter and the others. Yeah, well, they did close the gap now because Napoli obviously slipped up. Mm. They are just one point behind Napoli now. And it's depressing because when you look at the league table now, you're looking at 18 teams. You're cutting off the top and the bottom and then just looking at the rest to see what's interesting. And then you, you scroll up and see Juventus are, what, eight points clear already, which is just great, isn't it? It's absolutely fantastic. Do you think Inter have a chance quickly on what is it, Tuesday or Wednesday they play? Have they got a, a chance of causing an upset veto? Uh, against Spurs in London? Yeah, I think it's uh, possible. Uh, Tottenham did get a good win against Chelsea on the weekend, but no, I do fancy Inter's chances. And so far, I reckon they've been doing pretty well on their return to the Champions League. So I don't think. Uh, that Tottenham will easily get a point or get an easy win. I think uh, Inter will make it hard for them. And uh, I've been impressed with Riccardi in the Champions League so far. So for someone who hasn't got much experience playing in that competition, I think he's adapted very well. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, definitely. Um, there was something I wanted to raise, but I've completely forgotten it now. 
Oh, Lautaro Martinez, he scored. He scored. And, and Kev, my word, did he enjoy it? I, I loved it. <laughs> I, I loved it. It's like the only thing that piqued my interest after, uh, after Inter had gone on. Like, he looks like the, the, kind of, the kind of person or the kind of player that Inter could be 6-0 up, you know, away to Sassuolo, and he'd score the seventh. And he would celebrate it like a 90th minute Champions League final winner. Uh, you know, there's, there's something there's, there's something delightful about about watching him. Well, I think he might burst a blood vessel as well at some point if he uh, if he continues to put that much uh, energy into his celebrations. It's just a South American thing, isn't it? Edinson Cavani does the same thing. Diego Melito was the very same. There's definitely some more that I'm just thinking. Diego Forlan too, right? It's all well two of those ex-Inter players. It's great. I love it too. You can't get enough of that. But Vito, do you think this is something that Lautaro can really kick on from now? Because we've seen him in bursts this season, but he's never really done much that makes you think, okay, this is the guy Inter need. Well, Spalletti is playing that 4-2-3-1 formation. I don't think he'd be playing a lot on a regular basis because Icardi is usually that lone striker. It seems that Martinez can't really play in the attacking midfield trio that plays behind Icardi, and he and Martinez is probably better off in the penalty box. So I do think that Martinez will play his role here and there, but while there's a lone striker formation, I can't see him gaining more playing time. It's, it is quite a shame, really. And maybe there's a risk of him turning into Gabigol for lack of playing time. You, you don't really know. He, he does seem to have a little bit more about him in Serie A compared to what Gabigol did. One game that I am not bothered speaking to you to, I won't put you through to, I won't put you to through speaking about this game because it was so horrendous. It was Bologna nil, Fiorentina nil. Vieri Capretta again, absolutely soldiered through this one for us and I will be speaking to him about that for the audio listener so I am now joined on the line by Vieri Capretta Vieri ciao thank you for taking the time to speak to me tonight ciao Connor obviously another disappointing nil-nil for Fiorentina and they have shockingly won just one game in their last eight after a good start so You've seen them a lot. What is going so terribly wrong there? Yes, well, it's incredible what we're seeing at Fiorentina. I think mediocrity at its best. Honestly, I tweeted earlier that if you type up mid-table team on Google, you get Fiorentina. And it's exactly what uh, the Della Valle, the owners, want. Well, maybe not want, but what they've uh, built in recent years. A team that hasn't got uh, a real heart to it, hasn't got... A, a great tactic going forward. It hasn't got great players. Just to put it, to be blatantly honest with you, uh, I think Fiorentina has a couple of decent centre-backs. Uh, I really like Pizzella. Chiesa, I believe, is a great player, very talented and, and can always be a threat, but that's pretty much it. Vertu is a solid midfielder, but you're lacking uh, the creativity as well as players who consistently perform well. You get the odd, uh, you know, Mirayas or Simeone, having a decent game, uh, but that's it. And we've spoken about Simeone on the pod 
every week. And really, this guy, obviously now he's, uh, he's in an especially bad moment, but uh, there's, there's no sight of any light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, he can do better than this. He has to do better than this. But the truth is, um, Fiorentina fans are starting to, to not believe in it anymore. But what you got right now is a team that's 10th uh, in the table. So really, this is what, uh, what you've, you could have expected at the start of the season. You've lost Badel, who's the main man. And uh, you've now put together five consecutive draws. And that's it. And now, instead of having a manager who turns up a coach like Pioli uh, in the post-game um, press conference and is angry at everyone, like you'd like to have, to have that kind of winning mentality, you have someone who says, yeah, it's true, we didn't win in five games, but we also didn't lost in five games, so it's fine. And, you know, Fiorentina fans won't be happy with this. Pioli has built a team that is, yes, very young, but that's the only positive thing to it. Uh, and it's mediocre at best, which is a bit sad. You know, you already know now that Fiorentina will not be realistically going to Europe, maybe fighting for it to an extent. There's no chance of, of getting involved in the, in the relegation battle. So the season's pretty much already over and it's only November. Okay, guys. We are back and we're going to talk about Juve to Spalnil to, to lighten the mood, Kev, am I right? Because if there's anything that gets you excited about Serie A, it's watching Juve swat aside a mid-table team without doing anything, isn't it? Well, I, I, I'm just getting more and more depressed by it, Connor. Sorry. I, the, the one saving grace was this was where I picked up my Serie A uh, coverage this weekend and I only picked up at half-time. So I think I, I arrived home uh, to sort of catch the uh, the first goal during the uh, highlights and then soldiered through the second half with Juve not really getting out of second gear. It, it, as you as you sort of mentioned earlier there, they're, they're nearly 20 points ahead. It, it's, you know, we're only, we're, well, we're not even in December yet. <laughs> it's bad, isn't it? It's really bad. But I have a knife. Honestly, um, I thought it would be worse. And not, not because I thought Juve would be better, because they could only be two points better. But I thought Napoli and Inter wouldn't be quite this good. So, well, maybe good is the wrong word, but not quite as competitive and reliable at these early stages. But Kev, you spoke to me before coming on the pod, and you, you raised quite an interesting point, which I, I do want to throw out to you two now, which is, do you think it is the, the Champions League games coming up in midweek that kind of caused Napoli to drop points? And it seemed like they weren't taking their game all that seriously. Is it because they had an eye on Europe or is it because they just know, well, what's the point? We're, we're going to finish in the top four and we're not going to win the league. So let's just take it easy one week and look ahead to Europe. I think if it had just been Napoli... And you could argue that, that you know that was the case, but it, it, it's almost all of the three other Champions League sides, or even those that would be would be chasing Juventus down if if it wasn't such a such a huge gap that they had to um, to recover. Uh, and it does look like the other sides have thought, you know, our best 
our best opportunity, if you like, for some success laying in Europe or at least maybe generating some more revenue just by staying in the Champions League as long as possible? It's quite a depressing thought, but I think there might be something. And I would hope not, but possibly. Even if it's not on a, a conscious level, maybe they are just going out there and just thinking, oh. I think it could be subconscious. Yeah, I, I think it, it may well be. Because we saw Napoli last year push Juve so, so close. They got 91 points. And Juve still just won. They're just like a steamroller. So what's the point in giving your absolute everything in Serie A when by the end of the season nothing comes of it? Vito, what do you think? I pretty much have to agree with the sentiments here because Juventus have been so dominant in Serie A. And if we look at Roma, for instance... They were well off the pace in terms of the title race, but they made the semi-finals of the Champions League for the first time in 33 years. And that was when the competition was still known as the European Cup. So if if someone like Roma, who has a reputation for being consistent in all competitions and underachieving, but they still managed to put that good run in the Champions League and get some good money out of it... um, that might be the best thing for the other Italian clubs as well because I don't think they've got the same depth that Juve has. Juve really has that depth to compete on three fronts, whereas the others, you can tell that if they have off day, especially Inter, they've had some shockers when they've lost. So, you know, sometimes it's best to pick certain priorities, what are best for the players, best for the coach, and, of course, what's beneficial for the club on the field as well as off the field. Do you know what I think is also a, a contributing factor? Is the four direct places right. for Champions League. You know, before you maybe were being pushed by your by your direct opponents, so who's going to finish behind Juventus? And now, let's face it, Roma are on a bit of a slide. At least Napoli and Inter can probably feel confident that, that they're going to finish in the top floor for this year. Yeah, that's quite a good point, actually, because... It was so competitive for second and third place in the last few years. And now, like you say, it is the top three looks like it's going to be the top three. There's already that little gap for me. We've got Juve eight points clear at the top. And then there's five points between Inter and Lazio. And then there's just, the, <laughs> well, there's four between Lazio, Parma, Milan and Roma. But you would imagine Parma would drop out of that and it would be the two Roman clubs and Milan fighting out for that final fourth spot. But it's hard to kind of get excited about it, which isn't, which isn't a good thing to say on an Italian football podcast, but it's, it's true at times. And this is just one of those weeks where I guess it's it, because it follows Juve just doing the same thing to Milan. And I remember we said it was just like watching Juve beat Spal. And then Juve just show up against Spal and do the same thing. And Kev, you said that the changes Juventus make, they just don't matter. But I guess maybe in April and May, we could have, well, Carlo Ancelotti's at Napoli, so you would expect them to make a real push in Europe if they get out of the group. Juve will be there. You would expect them to get to the final. We might have two, maybe even three teams go the distance in Europe, which would be quite nice to see. Would that make up for the lack of competition in Serie A, Vito? I really hope it does because the Champions League is still the best club competition in the world. 
and you really test yourself amongst Europe's elite. So I think to have Juve do well in Europe would be great for them after years of domestic dominance. And like I said, Roma managed to do well last season, so surely that can inspire um, Inter and Napoli to do well, as well as uh, the Giallorossi themselves to better themselves and prove to people that what happened last season was not a fluke. So I really hope uh, you know, that Italy and Serie A in particular is represented well in the Champions League because that would be a fantastic look for the league. And I think Italian football in general needs to do what it can to sort of bring some positive news to the league and some positive attention to it as well. It would be amazing if even two of the four semi-finalists were Italian. Imagine there was a situation where Napoli were in one semi-final and Juve were in the other. It would be quite nice just to have that brief window where we think we could get an all-Italian Champions League final. It would be amazing. But you know what the result would be then, wouldn't you? Um, It's just like a Coppa Italia final then. We will talk about Napoli, or will we? Nil-nil, Chievo. Let's talk about Chievo. Let's be positive. They have a point. They are no longer in the minuses. They are no longer on zero points. They have a positive points tally. Kev, are you delighted? For Dove? Yeah, I I suppose so. It's, uh, you know, you don't want to see a a team going through that much uh, misfortune for too long, but... um, they were really, really helped by Napoli today. There was there was little interest until maybe the last twenty minutes when they realised that oh, this, this the result wasn't just going to fall into their hands. Maybe. Yeah, Vito, it, it is a good start. They changed their coach. Um, well, they were forced into a coaching change with Ventura doing his resignation thing, and he's got off to a good start. Well, that's the thing with Domenico Di Carlo, the man who's replaced Gian Piero Ventura. I think he's one of the worst Serie A coaches in history, to be honest. But for some reason, he's at Kievo for the third time, and he seems to do okay at Kievo, which is pretty puzzling because everywhere else, he's been hopeless. But maybe it's a good start for the Flying Donkeys. Maybe um, Kievo is the place for him to look good, and maybe the way the Campadelli family runs the club it might suit him better, but um, if he manages to keep his job and they somehow survive relegation, I think he should be on his hands and knees with the Campadellis to keep his job because I don't think he's good enough elsewhere. He has nothing to lose here, though, does he? Because if Kiemo no. goes down, well, what was he supposed to do? If he makes it close, he's done brilliantly. If he even oh, yeah. gets within three points of survival, he's done an amazing job because mm-hmm. they are bad. As Dov said last week, I can't remember if this was after the pod when I spoke to him or on it. He'd be surprised if Kiev got into double figures for points this season. And that's him, the most blindly optimistic man in the world when it comes to Kiev. And he says he'd be happy with 10 points. It's crazy. It might have been on the pod. I think it was. I think it was um, because I pushed him for Kiev comments because Ventura had just, just resigned. But anyway... Let's talk about something positive. Parma, Sassuolo. I was there. Parma are the kings of Emilia-Romagna after beating Sassuolo in what is something of a derby. And they are sixth. Vito, Parma 
newly promoted Parma are sixth in a European place. Is, is it possible for them to hold on? I think it's uh, a bit too early to tell, but without sounding too pessimistic, I don't think it will last simply because it's a depth issue and they've just come up from Serie B. But I think to see them in sixth place at this very moment is still fantastic. And I think after the bankruptcy and starting again in Serie D, I think it's uh, good to see them in this position now. Uh, they do have some good players and some experienced ones as well. And Jovino, he scored the opening goal, so that's a plus sign because he will be key to their chances of staying away from the relegation zone. But, yeah, I just think the real drilled side under Roberto Daversa and I reckon they should be able to perform consistently and be a tough team to beat. I don't think even if they drop from sixth place, I don't think it's going to be that easy for opposition sides to really push them over. No, definitely not. You mentioned Javinho scoring, and this is the fourth time in five home matches he's scored this season. The only game he didn't score in this year at the Tardini was that absolute horror show against Rosanone, which I still haven't quite recovered from. I'm still emotionally and mentally scarred from it, but... We'll move on from that one. Even when it comes up, my mind just wanders to it and I get I get stuck. I get trapped there. But bring me back, bring me back. You mentioned Roberto De Versa as well, and I think he deserves praise because whenever Parma are praised, it's Gervinho. And I'm guilty of it too. But De Versa has them so well organized. Kev, you pointed out beforehand that was it only the, the bottom five teams have scored fewer goals than Parma this season? Yeah, I think it's... Because of the way the games went today, I think it's five of the bottom six now, actually. But uh, but yeah, they they scored a, a because again I saw that I saw the result and um, watching the highlights, I saw they've moved up to sixth, and I was almost looking for something to sort of give some basis as to where they are because I've not seen a lot of uh, Palmer, you know, live if you like, or um, you know, it's mainly be through the highlights, and and maybe it's what Vito says he's got them so well drilled, and you've got you know it's that combination of of how organised they are and then also being able to have something at the top end from Javinho to, to grab them the gold and make something happen so uh, so they, they can nick that win um, it's truly astonishing really from a from a side that was in their situation and then has come up through the divisions year after year after year and then come into Serie A again Yeah well I have seen them quite a lot this season obviously living here whenever they're at home I tend to go to the Tardini and that's where I work for the day but, yeah, they've, they've been really good. The, well, that's an exaggeration. They've been really well organized. They, Bruno Alves has been so much better than I expected him to be. He came in as captain, having spent last season at Rangers. And Scottish football isn't very good, I think it's fair for us to say. So I was quite skeptical as to how he would adapt. But he's just taken to it as if he was never away from the top level. And he's so important for them there especially now with Alessandro Bastoni getting into the team the last couple of weeks. He's a young guy. He came through at Atalanta, he then went to Inter, but he's not played much. Even with Atalanta, he didn't play because they had that back three of Caldara, Tuloy, and Maziello. But Bastoni's been excellent in the last few weeks. He went off injured today, and Deversa was slightly concerned afterwards in the press conference. So that mightn't be the best news for them. But 
they've got Luigi Seppe in goal and for all his flaws, he's a good shot stopper. And I know that's the least you would expect from a goalkeeper who is a professional, but he's a very good shot stopper. He pulls off saves that you don't expect him to make. He can reach corners that others can't, despite not looking overly big. And they tend to limit teams to shots from, I don't know, like crosses into the boxer, chances that aren't that likely to be scored from. And I do think Sepe is a good goalkeeper in that situation. He did nearly make a mess of the result today, though, when he came out for a cross and flapped at it, as he tends to do. And I can't remember who it was. It might have been Jacopone recovering, who cleared off the line and saved them. But yeah, Sepe is a not a very good goalkeeper, but a good goalkeeper for Parma, maybe, is the right way of doing that. But yeah, Roberto Diversa deserves credit for the way he structured that team. And he's playing to his players' strengths, I guess, right? He's He's got Gervinho and Inglese. He knows they can attack. And he did say this as well in the post-match press conference because he was criticised in the lead-up to this game for, I guess, the contrast because you've got Roberto De Zerbi on one side and Roberto De Versa on the other. And De Zerbi plays this amazing football. Vito, we've spoken about De Zerbi and his, his brand. And it is exciting. It's great to watch. But De Versa said he... He adapts to the players that he has in his team, and he's done that because I said in my post-match video in my analysis that they know they can just sit back and defend, and within three seconds, if Gervinho gets the ball, they're up in the opponent's box with Inglese, Gervinho, and everyone else attacking. So it's working, and long may it continue because it is nice to see someone get amongst those names up at the top of the table, especially with Atalanta being a very hit-and-miss this season, Sassuolo fading terribly. Sassuolo... I think it's once in their last eight games they've won this season. And that one win came against Giampiero Ventura's Chievo. So I'm not sure that even counts. I get the points, but I don't think it counts as a win any more so than it is a formality. But we'll move on from this. Um, Vito, actually, no, I I will get your thoughts on Sassuolo. What do you make of their recent crisis? Is it just because they've had tough opposition? Or is there something a little more problematic there? I reckon it's uh, the problem with the Zerbi's lack of desire to use a traditional centre-forward. This season, he's used the Kevin Prince-Botang as a false nine. Kuma Babaka doesn't seem to play much, but he did play today. And then he then the Zerbi brought on Alessandro Matri as well. But I remember last season, um, he was used to using false nines when he probably should have played uh, Diabate a bit more and he was scoring goals. So he does have this uh, admiration for Pep Guardiola and likes to imitate his style. And I do like De Zerbi's football philosophy, but I think sometimes you just got to apply a bit of common sense or sometimes go back to basics. And when you have all that possession, you just need to have a proper striker who actually knows how to pull the trigger and get in those right positions. So I think maybe it's just more about getting those movements right and sticking with a proper striker instead of trying to experiment and create a fluid system if it doesn't really suit the players. That was, when I went to Sassuolo's last derby against Bologna, that was the one thing they were missing, was someone to score goals. They created so many chances, but they had, was it Di Francesco, Berardi, and I can't remember who the third attacker was on that day. But they always just wanted to pass it. 
they got into these positions and they were looking for the pass rather than going themselves. And if they had someone who could put these chances away, they'd be laughing. And Alessandro Matri absolutely is not that player. But I was going to talk about Roberto Inglese, but we won't. We'll do that another time. Um, guys, That that's going to do us for this week. Vito, thank you very much for joining us as ever. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week. No worries. I'll join you then, Connor. Good stuff. And Kev, it's been good having you back on. And I'm sure you'll be back on with us before Christmas. Cool. My pleasure. Perfect. Okay, so, uh, yeah, the the formality then, I guess, at the end. Do head over to ForzaItalianFootball.com and read all of the stuff. We absolutely smashed it today and this weekend. So, get over there and read everything we've written about all of the games to be played. As I said at the top of the show, we had people at six of the nine games to be played so far this weekend. We we haven't got the funds to send someone across to Sardinia to cover Cagliari Torino tomorrow, unfortunately. Otherwise, I'd be straight on a plane over there. But yeah, do head over, follow us on Instagram at Forza Italian Football, on Facebook at Forza Italian Football, and on Twitter at Serie A FFC. And you can get all of us on Twitter as well. Just look us up, read the website and click on our names and you'll find our social media things. But until next week, there is nothing left for me to say other than chef for now. Tifosi e con trombe bandiere Accompagniamo la squadra del cuore Con il grido O Parma se forte Batteremo le squadre avversarie Ma nessuno li potrà fermare Sono forti e sanno lottare Fanno gol, sempre gol Del campionato son la gloria Forza Parma, Forza Parma, questo è il grido di battaglia. Forza It is all about the What did we talk about? Cats. <laughs> no, I mean. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.